Blog Talk Radio. sports and having fun doing I want all your ideas. I want all your opinions. I want all your beliefs. And of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, number to call, 646-727-3070, 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pcant. You can send messages to the show at the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash pcant. And also, you can hit us up on Twitter at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by former Redskins, former Broncos running back Clinton Portis. Uh, Clinton made a trip uh, last week to Haiti uh, in association, in association excuse me, with the Jack Brewer Foundation. Um, he was out there in Haiti uh, doing some good things, you know, the, the helping out football camps, you know, visiting hospitals, things of that nature. We're going to talk to Clinton about that experience and get his take on Tom Brady, the flake gate, and that whole thing. Also, Hall of Famer Willie Rofe will be joining us. We're going to get Willie's take, the flake gate, and all that good stuff. Tom Brady, his legacy. Does it, I know what last week Willie say, said it didn't change his legacy. Will, does he think any differently today? We're going to talk to Willie. Also, one of the stars of Straight Outta Compton, Straight out of Compton, NWA, the NWA story, straight out of Compton. That's coming out August. We're going to be joined by actor Sheldon A. Smith. We're going to get Sheldon to talk about that movie, an exciting movie. I'm looking forward to that movie, actually. I really am. I'm really looking forward to that movie. But we're going to talk to Sheldon about that movie. And also, uh, Ryder University assistant basketball coach, our NBA analyst, Marlon Gill, will be joining us. We're going to get his take on what he saw last night. And uh, Clipperland and a choking, possible choking situation in Clipperland. And also the Cavaliers putting away the Chicago Bulls. And as we go throughout the course of this show, you're going to get my take on the Chicago Bulls. What's next? What's next in Bulls land? Tom Brady, Deflategate. We'll talk about that as well. Roger Goodell and, and what he should do, but he probably won't do it, but what he should do in that whole situation, in that whole case. Also, as we go throughout the course of this show, a lot of great uh, game sixes tonight. We'll talk about that as well. I want to start in the NBA, and I want to start what I saw last night, not in Cleveland, I mean, excuse me, not in Chicago with the Cavaliers, and the Cavaliers closing out that series, but what I saw in L.A. last night with the Clippers and the Houston Rockets. I mean, you look at that basketball game, and, you know, Rockets pretty much were listless, on Sunday night, they looked awful. The Clippers blew them out of that gym. And at that point, after the Clippers blew them out the gym, your thought process, at least my thought process, was, okay, this is a 3-1 series, and what happened to the heart of the Rockets? I mean, they showed no heart in that particular game. Where's the heart? Where's the intestinal fortitude? Where's the want? They showed nothing and none of that in game number four. But I figured the Rockets would come back with a decent effort in Game 5 and get that Game 5. 
But game six, I thought the Clippers would close them out. And that's what good teams do. In your building, with an opportunity to close out a team, knowing that if you don't close them out, that you're going to the other team's building in game seven. And we all know, history tells us, game seven, choose the home team. Game seven favors the home team. When in doubt, game seven, go with the home team. But we saw last night the Rockets with their best player, James Harden, sitting on the bench. They made a tremendous and a huge run. And you'll see this at times throughout the course of an NBA season and at times in these playoffs. I mean, Atlanta Hawks did it uh, when they were down big against the Wizards in that game four where Pierce hit that uh, – game three, excuse me, where Pierce hit that big bank shot. But in that game three, Wizards were up in that fourth quarter by a bunch. You know, they bring in some subs. The subs go on a run, and the subs almost steal the ball game, but Paul Pierce closed it out. Ball game with that bank shot. But anyway, you'll see this where, where teams are struggling. They have no answers, and the coach says, you know what, I'm going to the bench. What, what do I have to lose? Let me go with a mismatch, mismatch unit, and let's see what happens. And they did that. Ariza on the floor, Jason Terry, you know, Josh Smith, Howard, those guys on the floor. And those guys made plays. I mean, they outscored the Clippers by 31 points at the end of that third and all of the fourth quarter by 31 points. I mean, they trailed at one point by 19 points in the third quarter. And then they just, the Clippers went cold. The Rockets got hot, and the Rockets got back into the game and ultimately won the game. I mean, four for 22 from the field in the fourth quarter. Unacceptable. 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 I mean, Rockets got hot. Seven threes in that fourth quarter. You know, that, that's hot. And, and the Clippers, 18%. 18%. I mean, the, the Clippers were on, a, on the verge of running the Rockets off the floor and also not only running the Rockets off the floor, but the Clippers were on the verge of running the Rockets out. Out. They were on the verge of just taking the Rockets out. And, and so you look at it, the Rockets, where you thought it was done. You thought it was a done deal. And the Clippers, you know, they, they dominated game four. They, they dominated, you know, and, and had a great performance in game number four. And you figured, okay, the Rockets will get game five, but the Clippers will put them away in game six, and after being up 19, you thought the Rockets were going to go away. They didn't. They didn't go away. They came back. They battled back. They battled hard. They kept coming, kept coming. And ultimately, they overcame the L.A. Clippers. And it's inexcusable. The, the, the Clippers ought to be ashamed of themselves after what they saw, after what happened. Doc Rivers, Chris Paul, the leaders of that basketball team, ought to be ashamed of themselves. You had an opportunity, a chance to put away a team. You had a chance to put away a team, and you didn't do it. You didn't do it. And I look at this game, I look at 
Now, what's going to happen in Game 7, and the Clippers could be in trouble. The Clippers could be in trouble. And they really could be in trouble. And you hope, if you're a Clippers fan, that they can somehow, some way, get it right. They can somehow, some way, do what they did in Game 7 against the Spurs, where it looked like the Spurs were going to win. What did it look like the Spurs were going to win? But you just hope that the Clippers can, can, can do what they did in Game 7 against, the Spurs. against the Spurs. You hope, you hope the Clippers, the can, Clippers do can do it. And I'm not sure that can, do, that, that can be done. I'm not sure. But one thing I do know is this. When in doubt in a Game 7, favor the home team. And with that thought process, with that in mind, I'm going with the Rockets in Game 7. I'm going with the Rockets. Even though, well, you know what? Even though I say favor the home team, I got to stick with my pick. I, I got to be true to my pick. I had the Clippers going to the Western Conference Finals. I got to stay true to that. I was going to say the Rockets, but I realized I have to stay true to my pick. My pick was the Clippers. I got to stick with the Clippers. And we'll see if they can come up with a phenomenal and big-time effort. But if they don't, Doc Rivers is going to be crucified, and everybody else, uh, including Chris Paul, will be crucified as well. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean see anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I was, uh, trying to throw you, you know what? I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around you. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's early. That's not Robbie. That's called brother. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> and we're back. Go for it, blogtalkradio.com. Paul Kane here. We're going to bring in a guy now, very successful NFL career. This guy now is uh, doing some big-time work in the community. He was in Haiti uh, last week with the Jack Brewer Foundation, doing some big things, putting some smiles on the faces of the kids out there in Haiti. Let's bring him in now, former Redskins, former Bronco running back, Clinton Portis. Clinton. What's going on? How you doing? How are you, man? Good, man. I can't complain. Clinton, before we get to that, I got to get your take on Tom Brady. Suspended four games. Patriots lose draft picks. They get fined. Your thoughts. Was it fair? I'm not sure it was much of an advantage uh, with the deflated balls, and I don't think those four games are going to hold up. And when you look at, you know, everybody's talking about how big the fine is and um, for the Patriots as an organization, a million-dollar fine really 
don't bother the Patriots. It's a billion-dollar team. You know, if you want to get excited about a million-dollar fine, look at Greg Hardy and Alvin Smith and the guys that get suspended around the NFL. They miss a million every time they miss a game or two. So um, I think it's, it's, it's worse for a player to get fined that way. But uh, for an organization that's coming off a Super Bowl win, they don't even notice it. <laughs> do you think? Do you look at Tom Brady differently at this point in time after this, or, or really it doesn't change? I don't, change? man. You still, you still got to throw and catch the ball. You still got to execute. You know, uh, for whatever the advantage supposedly is of, of his grip on the ball, uh, you still have an opportunity to get uh, get a get a deflection or get your hand on the ball, uh, even pick the ball off as it go from point A to B. You know, so. Uh, other teams got the same opportunity that the New England Patriots have to catch that ball once it's uh, let from Tom Brady hand. So I think you still got to go out and execute. Your people still got to cover. You know, a deflated football uh, does nothing uh, when, when the guy is wide open. You know, if the guy is wide open, he's <laughs> wide open, no matter what kind of ball he throws. And at the end of the day, he's got to still make the throws, like you said. He's still got to make the plays and. He did that. I mean, and also, you know, I want to add to that. I mean, you look at the second half of that game. Well, the, the balls were properly inflated, and they blew out the Colts twenty-eight to nothing in that second half. And then you look a week later, two weeks later, in the Super Bowl, and you know the balls were properly inflated, and he went on to win the Super Bowl as well. So I agree with you. It's kind of, I don't want to say much to do about nothing, but it doesn't change anything or, or how I feel about Tom Brady. Does it change the way? You look at the Patriot organization. I know there, there's been some thoughts about the Patriot organization uh, over the years with Spygate, the Flategate, and things of that nature. Does that change for you? I don't think it does, man. Again, you're talking about the New England Patriots, which is one of the better organizations throughout the NFL. And they find a way to win. You know, I think every team in the NFL pushed the limit um, to all the rules, you know, whether that's keeping a guy in the game that, that's concussed or uh, or anything else, you know, not not uh, telling you an injury report or however things play it. Everybody has something that they're trying to get over at and doing. I think uh, when you look at the New England Patriots organization, they're just the best at doing it and getting away with it. And, it, again, it goes back to X's and O's. You still got to score points. You still got to come up with a scheme to stop uh, those guys. And, you know, everybody was talking about no big-name receiver, no running back. They go out and make a move, bring with Jared Blunt in uh, at the end of the season after Pittsburgh, let him go. The receiver step up, and uh, Gronkowski is, is all of a sudden one of the better players in the NFL. So uh, you still got to go out and find a way to stop those guys, and, and I think they do a great job at uh, stopping opposing offenses when their defense is on the field. So basically you're saying they're, they're, better, they're the best at getting away with stuff on some level, but you know at the end of the day they're still getting it done. I'm just saying whatever they're doing, they do, they're doing a great job at doing it. They're, they're, <laughs> it's pushing the limits of this is going out execute uh, uh, the X's and O's of football. They're doing a great job at doing it. And, you know, I think all the, the attention and the negativity overshadows uh, the, the work that they're really doing. You know, when you look at right. Belichick and Brady, I think the work that they've uh, done since they've been together is, is unheard of. You know, you, you, don't, you don't get that in today's uh, game in today's society. You know, if you look at uh, the other great quarterbacks around the NFL compared to their head coaches, it's, it's a lot of guys want to get over the hump and have that same success. We're talking to former NFL star Clinton Portis. And Clinton, uh, last week, man, you and a few other athletes, you headed out to Haiti in association with the 
Jack Brewer Foundation, excuse me. Tell us about that experience. Oh, man, it was a great time. You know, I think uh, to see so many guys, Carlos Emmett, C.O. Spikes, uh, Sergio Brown, uh, Tommy Harris, uh, to see so many guys donate their time and uh, energy and efforts to go over. You know, I think I heard you say uh, we put smiles on the kids' faces in Haiti. Now, those kids actually put smiles on our faces. I think okay. that community, that country um, did so much for our souls, and everybody left impressed and feeling good and uh, hoping to go back again next year and, and continue to participate. I think what Jack Brewer has going on is a great thing, and uh, linking athletes to uh, countries that we probably would never visit if, if it wasn't from him, just having that opportunity to go in and uh, do groundwork and, uh, participate and, and matter uh, after football. You know, I think that's a, a big uh, thing that Jack has going on in the Brewer Foundation and all the people that work with him and all the companies that sponsor him. Uh, we got an opportunity to work with over in Haiti. Now, what made you go out to Haiti? What made you uh, uh, be a part of this? Well, it was just, I, I mean, it's simple. You ask a question, everybody want to lend a hand. You know, you just don't know where to right. start. If you have so many ideas and you want to lend a hand and you want to get involved and you want to participate. And, uh, again, Jack Brewer is such a good dude. It's a phone call away, you know, for him to get that many guys to clear their schedule last minute uh, and, and everybody want to participate. I think it was so many people won, won that 10 and spots just filled up. So uh, you had so many guys uh, to to come available, you know, Ramsey's bar and uh, Sergio Brown, I'm not sure if I mentioned him uh, mm-hmm. earlier, but for those guys to, to clear their schedule and get involved and then come out and actually, uh, it wasn't just lending a hand, you know, these guys participated, they competed with the kids, they helped the kids, it was hands-on, you know, I think it was great. Was that your first time visiting Haiti? Yes, it's not my last, but it was definitely my first, but, you know, even even the misconception of, of how poor Haiti is and uh, how dangerous Haiti is. Man, we went to Haiti and had a great time. And, and that community uh, showed us so much appreciation, um, everybody, not not just the participants, even the people uh, we came across paths with that didn't know we were there and didn't know we were NFL players. Uh, those people were just great. You know, they were um, – it, it shows you um, – something that you wish you had in America. You know, it's a, it's a bunch of people uh, that's together and, and driven with, with one common goal, and that's to do better. Uh, whereas over here, you know, it's like we hold each other down. I think they're trying to empower each other over in Haiti. It's a beautiful thing. Now, you, you said, again, this was your first time visiting Haiti. Obviously, it had a huge impact on you. Talk about how this may have changed you moving forward. Uh, well, I've always been active in, in community work. You know, I just never uh, took the spotlight, took to the spotlight to say I was doing community work. So uh, for me, just having this opportunity, you know, I know Jack do Malawi. He also does uh, Asia and in uh, other countries that I would love to be a part of as well. But just going forward, just knowing it's going to be a first class, uh, a first class uh, trip or or situation that you're going to be in. And, um, just to have this effect, to be deep embedded into the community, uh, to go to the hospital and, uh, you know, actually go and see where the amputees, the uh, the, the uh, legs and the arms and stuff were built and created and 
to be hands-on with the doctors, to talk to the doctors, or to be able to touch the kids and see the kids and give hearing aids, uh, the Starkey Foundation, to give kids the, the gift of hearing, something that we take for granted because we're not deaf. But uh, for those kids to, to finally be able to hear, to give hearing aids um, to, to that amount of kids, and uh, it, it just, I mean, it makes you feel good inside. It actually makes you feel like you're doing something. Was it emotional at times? It is. You know, I, I, I can't stand uh, going to hospitals, honestly, and I, I told Jack that, and, um, you know, I, I kind of slide to the back because uh, these are kids, innocent kids that, that really didn't have an opportunity. They didn't choose a path. Uh, it wasn't an incident. It wasn't something uh, that they done. It was just, you know, that, that's, that's the position God put them in, and uh, that's the location God uh, wanted to have them grow through. And, and, you know, just to see that, of course, you feel uh, bad knowing, you know, in the state um, some of those problems wouldn't exist because we're exposed to, to so much or we're so advanced. But um, in Haiti, the simple stuff is, is killing kids. You know, the simple, um, the ACL repair, MCL repair right. that you get in, and come back out and participate in, in four to six months in, in, in America uh, over there, you're getting your leg amputated for it. And, and, you know, just to know it is really a two-hour flight from the States, and, and they're that far behind. You know, it's right. something that uh, that really hits home because that could easily be you. We're talking to former NFL running back Clinton Portis. And, Clinton, I know you did some football camps out there as well. Did you see any future Haitian stars? Man, you know, those kids, they, they, they were soccer, you know, uh, their football was soccer, of course. Right. So uh, they had some great footwork. I think, you know, just watching those kids do the drills uh, that, that, that a lot of the guys were showing them, watching those kids participate and do those drills and uh, so eager to learn. You know, I don't think they have the, the hand-eye concept yet uh, of catching the ball. There was actually a couple of uh, young girls out there that were snagging balls out of the air, jumping, and, uh, making acrobatic catches, you know, um, some Odell Beckham catches. But um, <laughs> I think when it comes to the footwork, they have all the talent. It's just a matter of uh, staying on them and constantly getting them to understand American football. Right, right. Now, Clinton, you've been retired from the NFL now for a few years. How's life after football for Clinton Porter? It's different, man. You know, I think the adjustment when you've been – and a savior of, of, of uh, organizations for so long, you know, you kind of uh, go through life as a breeze. You know, everything is laid out, red carpet treatment all the time. So the adjustment to life after ball is more uh, becoming normal, you know, becoming uh, coming out of that cloud that you were on and uh, just wanting to be normal, wanting to participate and do the normal things that uh, everybody else always had the luxury of doing. But um, when you've been in, in, in the spotlight for half your life, you know, all of a sudden right. it's different. It's an adjustment. But um, when you got opportunities to do stuff like this, it, it's even better. It's a better feeling to score and touchdown and hear the crowd cheer or anything else. Just to see the smile on those kids' faces when you leave, knowing you uh, touch someone. You missed the game? I don't, man. You know, I, I think the game that, that I fell in love with was a, a tough, rough and rugged game, and all of a sudden, you know, just because of uh, safety precautions and uh, and rules, you know, the game has changed a lot. So 
uh, as a fan, you know, it's, you still watch it, but uh, it's not the same. I don't. Now, you, I know I know. over the course of your career, you experienced a lot of concussions. With that being said, are you in favor of some of the rule changes that we see, the, the new NFL, if you will? Well, I, I mean, I think it takes a lot of the excitement away. You know, I think uh, if you ask any guy, would, would they rather have a concussion uh, or, or a knee surgery, now, a lot of people gonna gonna vote for concussion, you know, not knowing the long term effects and uh wanna delay the problem, uh, rather than have to rehab and uh repair a knee. So, you know, when you go and watch it's just a, it, it, it's just like it's so shocking that there's so much attention paid to everything now when this is just a violent game. I mean it's a violent game and it's the game that we love is barbaric and uh, all of a sudden to have, have the rules and uh, the the uh, mentioning or, or the concussions come to light and know the problems in the long-term effect, uh, it's just kind of scary. You know, it's, it's a game you love, a game you know you can compete at and, and go be great, but, you know, the side effects and everything coming along with it uh, pops into question marks. Now, would you trade it? I mean, would, would you – obviously, you had a successful career. You made a decent amount of money. Would you trade it? Knowing what you know now in terms of uh, the, the the effects of concussions and and everything else that comes with football, I don't I don't know because you can't get that that competition, you can't get that feeling, you can't get that that high. I've never done any drugs, so I wouldn't be able to tell you <laughs> that. But you can't you can't get that high off mm-hmm. of uh, punishing another person, you know. Uh, a blitz kick up or, or running over somebody or, or diving over the pylon or uh, making their catch in the back of the end zone. You know, you know, you can't get that in anything else. You know, as, as, as a radio personality or as, as a TV broadcaster or a doctor or anything else, you can never say, I'm the best because you're not competing against anyone. You don't know who you're competing against. You don't know who can do what. But on that field, you get the opportunity to say, I'm the best at what I do. And uh, that's a wonderful feeling that no one can't take away from you. Fans, support all the great things going on with Clinton Portis. Make sure you hit him up on Twitter at the real C underscore Portis. Also, support Jack Brewer and all the great things he's doing. Go to jbfworldwide.org and also hit him up on Twitter at jbfworldwide. Support all the great things going on with Jack Brewer and the Jack Brewer Foundation and all the great things going on with Clinton Portis. Clinton, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing no but the best man. of luck moving forward. Let's do it again. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right, take care. Clinton Portis, former running back Broncos, Redskins, and, you know, interesting talking to Clinton and, and, you know, life after football. Obviously, that's always a difficult transition for guys. I mean, in some respect, you can be a fish out of water. I mean, you're doing things one way your whole life, and then all of a sudden you're not doing it that way no more. You're You're not – you're not with the guys, hanging out with the guys and, and having a good time with the guys. You, you're not doing that no more. And, and so the reality is you you have to uh, adjust. And life is full of adjustments and life is full of change. And, and you know, life after football for Clinton Portis, he's making that adjustment and hopefully he continues to make that adjustment moving forward. Let's go to deflate gate now. And as Clinton Portis says, and and I, I second that emotion. I mean, it doesn't change Tom Brady to me. Doesn't change the legacy of Tom Brady. It, it doesn't change the way I look at the the Patriots. It doesn't. 
the reality is the Patriots are, are a championship football team. The reality is, as I said to Clint Borders, in that second half against the Colts, 28 to nothing, they were outscored with a properly inflated football. Now, I, again, you, you, the question you begged that everybody wants to answer, well, if it doesn't give them an advantage, why do they do it? I mean, obviously it does give them an advantage on some level, but it doesn't give them that much of an advantage. The, 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 the advantage, as we've seen, with the ball being properly inflated against the Seahawks in the Super Bowl, what happened there? Peyton Manning, I mean, not Peyton Manning, Tom Brady sliced and diced through that Seahawks defense. He, I mean, that, that's the best defense of football. I mean, we're talking about that defense like it was uh, possibly one of the greatest defenses of all time. And Peyton, I mean, Tom Brady sliced, diced, and did what he had to do against that offense, that defense. Did what he had to do. And so I look at it, and, you know, obviously the four-game suspension, the, the loss of draft picks, the million-dollar fine, to me – I'm okay. At the end of the day, you caught them, you had to do something. And you could say, well, you can argue, as the Patriots are doing, that maybe you really didn't catch them. You thought you caught them, but you really, maybe you didn't catch them. You got a bunch of circumstantial evidence. A bunch of circumstantial evidence. And, and so, I mean, if I look at it, just looking at it objectively, I mean, I think – he knew what was going on. I mean, I, I again, who summons the ball boy to your quarterback's room, a room that, you know, ball boy's never been summoned to that room. That ball boy's been with that team for a long time. Never been summoned to that room. Who does that? Uh, you know, their rebuttal, I think their rebuttal is legitimate. You know, a guy dealing with a lot of media, media attention that's never really dealt with media attention before. Uh, it's legitimate. But at the same time, it's legitimate. I mean, but at the same time, it's questionable. You know, the deflator talking about that, that's McNally talking about losing weight. I don't know if that's que- that, that's questionable as well. I mean, you know, here's the issue. You know, I, I guess I'm okay with Brady's four games. Maybe it'll get at some point it'll get appealed. It might even be knocked down to two. But Roger Goodell's going to hear the hear the appeal, and I'll get to that in a moment. But maybe it'll get down to two. Who knows? But you knew the league was going to do something. And they almost had to do something. And I'm going to – and talking about Roger Goodell, I think the league and Roger Goodell has to do something now in terms of him not being the guy that, that hears the appeal. I know Troy Vincent came down with the punishment. He was the guy a part of the, the punishment. But come on. You know Roger Goodell has something to do with that punishment. And, and so I look at it. I'm like, okay, you know – Roger Cattell is going to hear the appeal, and, and the, the, the collective bargaining agreement says that's okay. So whose fault is that? I mean, that's, that's D. Smith, and, and that's the players who agreed to that. I mean, he's the judge, jury, and execution, and, and you agreed to that. You, you gave him all this power. Players have complained about him having, and when I mean him, Roger Cattell, having this type of power. Players have complained about it. So you're appealing to the guy who probably has something to do with the four-game suspension. Obviously, Troy Vincent is not making that decision without Roger Goodell seeing it and agreeing to it. So that's what you're doing. And so I look at it, and I, I agree with the Players Association. I think Roger Goodell should not be the guy hearing this appeal. He's not budging at this point. 
Because here's the thing. It's a double-edged sword. Let's just say he, he goes in favor of the Patriots, reduces Tom Brady's suspension to maybe two games, maybe takes away one of those draft picks, you know, excuse me, gives back one of those draft picks. Well, then you're saying, well, Goodell is Kraft's boy. They're boys. So he's taking care of his boy. He's hooking up his boy. He's holding down his boy. Maybe. You know, he's, he's, he's taking care of his boy. That's what you do. You take care of your boy. That's what he did. He took care of his boy. Now, if he doesn't switch anything, now you, you, you come back and you say, well, this dude didn't do anything. He, he, he didn't change anything, and he had something to do with the original punishment. So it, it's a double-edged sword. He doesn't look good, and perception is reality. Perception is reality, so no matter how he rules, it's not going to look good for Roger Goodell, at least in the court of public opinion. I mean, you look at Goodell, and obviously the fans don't employ Roger. I mean, we, we don't pay Roger Goodell's salary. The owners do. And so if he's doing a good job by the owners, well, the owners aren't going to get rid of Roger Goodell. And I know there was a call at some point by many after Ray Rice, after Agent Peterson, after all that, to get rid of Roger Goodell. But I believe ultimately, a lot of people believe that this suspension will, well, if Goodell's being an arbitrator, who knows what's going to happen. If he's, going to, if he's the guy that's going to hear the appeal, who knows what's going to happen. But it's a mess. It's a mess. And, and they have to do a better job of, of collectively bargaining this whole situation if you're the Players Association. Ridiculous as a players association that you are, uh, did not do what you needed to do to put your players in position. And the players itself, I mean, they're responsible. I mean, they sign off on the deal. But, you know, they're not putting themselves in position to ultimately make uh, an informed – well, I mean, they're not in the position to make the right decision, the right decision. Obviously, not having Roger Goodell not only make the punishment but here to appeal. I mean, what kind of sense is that? I mean, you know, making it up as they go. Well, before it was two games. Now we're going to put this whole new policy in place where now it's six games for domestic violence and first instance of domestic violence and so on and so forth. You know, they're just, they're just making it up as they go. You know, you can't. You can't. You're just making it up as it go. You're making it up as it go, as you go. And there's, things in place. There's a CBA in place for these things. And I've always had an issue with the NFL Players Association. I mean, it's, the, the, the owners just run them over. They just run them over, it seems. They still don't have guaranteed contracts in the NFL. I mean, you know, I've said this all the time, but if I had a son, I have a son, but if, I, if, if he was going to play a sport, I'd tell him to go play baseball, go play basketball. You're not going to get beat up like you do in football, and you got a guaranteed contract. Football, it's year to year pretty much. Only that guaranteed is that signing bonus, but it's year to year the contract. And so I look at this whole situation, and the players are to blame for what's about to happen or what could happen. I blame the players. I really do. I blame the players. You 
put yourself in position now where your commissioner is going to hear your appeal. The guy who had something, I don't care, you say Troy Vincent was the guy who, who did the suspension, but Troy Vincent has to go through Roger Goodell. He's the commissioner of the league. He has to go through him before he makes that final decision. Roger Goodell has to give his stamp for approval. And so now you're going to go back now to Roger Goodell hearing the appeal. What new information is going to, they're going to dig up? What new stuff is, 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 can be dug up for the man who he's hearing the appeal? What new stuff can be dug up? What? I know it's a bunch of circumstantial evidence, but Roger Goodell knew that before the decision was made to suspend Tom Brady. I mean, so, and at the end of the day, again, this doesn't change the way I feel about Tom Brady. This doesn't change the way I feel about the Patriot organization. Maybe they've done some underhanded things, but as Clinton Porter says, everybody does underhanded things in the National Football League. So I look at it this way. I look at it this way. Um, I think ultimately this suspension, this suspension probably will be changed, but we'll see. I also believe that, you know, at this point in time, it's ridiculous that Roger Goodell is going to be hearing the appeal. I also thought that the Patriots organization itself shouldn't have got anything. It should have been directly on Brady if you feel like, Belichick and the organization had nothing to do with it. It should have been just directly on the shoulders of Tom Brady. But you do you do affect Brady. You might even affect him more, well, just as much, by taking away a first and a fourth in two consecutive years. So, who knows? But at the end of the day, and, and we'll see what happens with this whole situation, and, and people are going to have their opinions, and you've heard Varying opinions. Eddie George gave a totally different opinion than Clinton Portis. Clinton Portis believes this doesn't change anything. Eddie George believes otherwise. Willie Rose doesn't believe this changes anything. There's other players who believe otherwise. So you're going to get varying opinions, and, and, and people are, are going to say various things. Does it affect his legacy? No, I don't think so. But other people may disagree. Say it does affect his legacy. But you hear players like Jeff Blake saying, you know, quarterback Jeff Blake, former quarterback, well, you know, he did some things with football back in his day. Warren Moon, I believe, said the same thing. So you're hearing varying opinions, varying thoughts, varying, various, various ideas, various opinions, various beliefs on this whole situation. But at the end of the day, you know, I still believe Tom Brady is probably the greatest quarterback of all time. I believe Bill Belichick is one of the greatest coaches of all time. And the Flategate, Spygate, doesn't change that for me. It, it just doesn't. Not for me. It, it doesn't do anything. And, again, you know, everybody, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Everybody tries to get over on everybody in the game of football and in sports in general. It happens. It happens all the time in the world of sports. We'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting for sure. It should be fun. Should be very fun, and we'll see if the if Roger Goodell buys that the deflator was talking. Jim McNally was talking about his weight and not footballs. <laughs> oh man, it's funny. I mean, some of the the lies, stories. I don't want to say lies. It's not fair. Stories that people tell, the things that people say. 
<laughs> Makes you laugh. Makes you cry at times. But in this particular situation, it makes you laugh. Let's go back to the NBA now. And, you know, at the end of uh, the game yesterday at the press conference, Tom Thibodeau, Tibbs, believes that he is going to be, you know, he expects to be back. Obviously, I don't think he's going to be back. And everybody that has, uh, you know, watched this whole situation knows that he's probably not going to be back. But the Bulls now, this is a team that over the the past four years, you know, LeBron James has been standing in their way. 2011, LeBron James, that was Derrick Rose's uh, MVP season. LeBron James and the Miami Heat, the Heatles, stood in the way. Uh, 2012, Derrick Rose, Torres' ACL. They go out, the Bulls go out in the first round to the Philadelphia 76ers. The next season, Derrick Rose gets hurt again. The Bulls go out to the Heat one more time in LeBron James. And now this year, LeBron James takes his talent back to Cleveland, joins Kyrie Irving, adds to Kevin Love. You know, amid, uh, And before this series started, Kevin Love was out, going for the playoffs. Derrick Smith was missing two games. And so you're talking about rotation guys. Kevin Love, obviously, you know, a big player. And J.R. Smith, a, a big a punch, scoring punch, and a guy who's been a big, big, big contribution, you know, a big, big acquisition. I mean, Amon Shumpert and, and J.R. Smith coming to the Cavaliers may be one of the reasons this team is probably going to go to the NBA Finals when it's all said and done and possibly win it. And, of course, the deal for Moskov, Timothy Moskov, Timothy. And then that deal. But you look at the Bulls now and you know Paolo Gasol was supposed to help get this team to that next level you know obviously you know Miritech Miritech uh, the the rookie coming over he's supposed to give them a little punch obviously Jimmy Jimmy Butler has stepped up this season and has become a big time player Uh, you got Tony Snell's giving you minutes I mean Taj Gibson gives you what he gives you and obviously you had a healthy Derrick Rose we don't know how healthy. Well, he, he said he was healthy, but you, he, he didn't have that explosion. He didn't have that extra gear. And you wonder if he'll ever have that explosion, that extra gear, after all the knee issues he's had over the years. But I look at this Bulls basketball team, and, you know, Tom Thibodeau is a great coach, is a good coach. I can't call him great. But he's a very good coach, very defensive-minded coach, and he's had a lot of success over the years with this Bulls basketball team, a lot of success. There's no doubt about it. He's had success. But he's taken his team maybe as far as he could, maybe as far as he can. I mean, maybe it's talent. Maybe they hear, need to hear a new voice. I mean, I'm not making a direct comparison, but you look at the Golden State Warriors, a team that uh, with Mark Jackson, Mark Jackson righted their ship, if you will, got this team to the playoffs. But, you know, something was missing according to ownership. And they decided to make the move. Well, they bring in Steve Kerr, and guess what? The Golden State Warriors may take that next step and win 67 ball games, and get the number one seed in the Western Conference. And if they win tonight, can get to the Western Conference Finals, and more than likely, I believe they're going to get to the NBA Finals. So they they they, they fired a guy in Mark Jackson who was highly successful for them, but they felt like they needed another guy to put them over the top, and Steve Kerr was that guy or is that guy 
that's putting them over the top thus far. Now the same situation could be with the Chicago Bulls. They felt like, you know, Tom Thibodeau has done everything that he can do as a coach with this with this basketball team. Now we need to hear a different voice. We need to hear a new voice. We need a new voice in that Bulls locker room. We need another guy, a guy that hopefully can put the Bulls to another level and take the Bulls to another level. We need another guy who can do that. And maybe a different coach will do that, and then maybe they need a new voice. And Thibodeau, we all know, is not getting along with Paxton, not getting along with Gar Foreman. It's not happening, not getting along. And no matter how much success he's had, they're not getting along. Even you look at, a, a, I guess, you know, a, a situation, you know, a similar situation, Jim Harbaugh in the 49ers, and then uh, Balky and Harbaugh not getting along. You know, they're, they're not getting along at all. And ultimately, Jim Harbaugh went on his way. But reports are that the players were a little tired of Jim Harbaugh. He wore out his welcome. And, you know, you're not necessarily hearing that in Chicago, but maybe the reality is that it's time. And the players need to hear a different voice. That or you need to figure out Derrick Rose in that whole situation. It seems like, you know, he's been that guy for the last four years that, you know, it's kind of been, I don't want to say holding the Bulls back, but he's been like that monkey, if you were that's on their back. You know, it's like, okay, what are we going to do with this guy? Is he going to be healthy? Is he not going to be healthy? What's going to happen? Is he going to play? Is he not going to play? And, you know, tears his ACL, you know, tears the meniscus. And you're just like every single time, you know, you, you think you're you're right in the ship and you have Derrick Rose and you're thinking if we had Derrick Rose, we had Derrick Rose, we had Derrick Rose, you know, you know it's going to be a much different situation. But you can't continue to do that. And at some point you have to figure out what could happen with Derrick Rose. I know he's owed a lot of money. Uh, he's got two years left on his deal, $41 million he's owed over the next two years. So you have to figure out what's next for Derrick Rose and what you want to do there. Do you keep him? I know he's only 26 years old. Or do you see if you can find a, a suitor for Derrick Rose? And you can say, well, that contract could be unmovable, but Chris Webber's contract was said to be unmovable, and the Kings found a way to move that contract. So, yes, it could be unmovable, but Derrick Rose is 26 years old, um, still averaged 20 points in this in these playoffs, still uh, you know can still play this game at a fairly high level, still probably a top-10 point guard if he's healthy, I mean, so if you're a team out there and you can get a guy like Derrick Rose, 26 years old, um, would you think about making a move for Derrick Rose? I know his contract is big, but maybe you're a team that's in need of a point guard. Maybe you look at Derrick Rose. Maybe if you're the Pacers, you see what you could do to try to get your hands on Derrick Rose. And I'm not saying that it's the right move to move Derrick Rose. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying these are things that the Bulls need to look at as they come into this offseason. You know, these are the things that the Bulls need to examine as they go into this offseason. These are the things. They need to examine those things. The Houston Rockets, a team that could use a point guard. Are you the Rockets? Do you uh, find a way to get your hands on Derrick Rose? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. You know, I have no basis of fact or anything. I'm just throwing out teams that possibly could use the services of Derrick Rose. The Lakers. You know, the Lakers are a team that maybe want, may, might want to uh, give Derrick Rose and the Bulls, give the Bulls a call and see what they can do to get their hands on Derrick Rose. I don't know. But here's the thing. I mean, the, the Bulls have to figure something out. Obviously, Jimmy Butler has to get paid. Um, Miritich, Miritich, obviously, you know, he's going to have a bigger role next year. 
I mean, you got to figure things out. You know, uh, Joe Kim Noah, his contract is up after next season. You got to figure out what you want to do with Noah moving forward. I mean, do you keep Noah? Do you, do you think about trading Noah? I mean, those are the things that the Bulls have to figure out moving forward. But first and foremost, it starts with what they want to do with their coach. And the reports are maybe Tibbs, Thibs, whatever you want to call him, might think about going to the Pelicans and, and go with Anthony Davis out there. We all know that Monty Williams, we all know what happened to him. He got fired, um, surprisingly. I mean, that, that kind of came out of nowhere. I know the ultimatum, if you will, was that they need to make the playoffs, and he did just that. And it was surprising. But you know, first and foremost, no deal or, or no being made by the Pelicans without the approval of their stud, Anthony Davis. Obviously, Anthony Davis was okay with Monty Williams being let go. Obviously. And we all know Tibbs and, and, and Davis spent some time, Team USA. So, I, I mean, maybe those guys have, have developed a relationship, a bond on some level. And maybe that relationship, maybe that bond could be a reason for uh, Tibbs to think about heading over to the Pelicans, a, 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 a team with some decent young talent. Obviously, you have a stud and a star in Anthony Davis. So you, you have something to work with there. Or I, I think the Bulls need to make a move, whether it's personnel-wise, whether it's coaching-wise. They need to do something. Because it ain't working. Whether it's health is one of the reasons, uh, whatever it is, it's not working. So they need to make a move now and figure out what they want to do. Coaching, players, so on and so forth. Moving forward. They have to do it. And I don't know if, you know, if Derrick Rose, it's the guy moving forward, but you might be stuck on him considering his contract. Who knows? But you obviously got to bring Jimmy Butler back. And he's going to get – I know he's a restricted free agent, so they can match any offer, but somebody might – you know, they might blow him out the water. And he's going to get maxed out. So the Bulls are probably going to have to give him a max deal. And so they're going to think about something, maybe move with a contract, maybe Taj Gibson's contract, maybe you think about Noah. I mean, obviously, Pau Gasol gave them a list. Obviously, Pau Gasol gave them great minutes. He had an all-star year, but he broke down there at the end with that hamstring, and they missed him. They missed what he brought to the table. But I was, I was, I was stunned and shocked by the way the Bulls went out last night. I mean, they, they, they I, I, you know, I thought Cleveland was going to win that series, but I didn't think the Bulls would go out the way they went out. I mean, they went out like suckers, if you will. You know, they, they, they went out, and they didn't go out very good. They really didn't. I mean, you know, the, the the Cavaliers, without Kyrie Irving, most of that game, and the Cavaliers just took that game over. Matthew Dellavedova hitting shot after shot. And, you know, they took over that basketball game. And here's the beauty of LeBron James. I mean, here's the beauty of LeBron James. And, and you know, he didn't shoot that well, especially his outside shot was not very good in this series. And, you know, you can credit Jimmy Butler. You can also credit the Bulls' team defense as a whole. But the beauty of LeBron James is this. Obviously, the, the, the team was plus 20 with him on the court. But here's the beauty of him. Seven for 23, okay? That's an off-shooting night. You know, missed all the threes, zero for four. Um, 
But the beauty of LeBron James is everything else. Okay, he didn't give you the points, big-time points last night. But guess what he did? He had 11 assists. He had nine rebounds. He also had two blocks. So he didn't give you what you needed or what you wanted, maybe points-wise, but he sure the heck gave you what you needed and what you wanted in the other fats, the other parts of the game. Defense with the two blocks, the boards with the you know the nine rebounds, the 11 assists. He gave you everything else that you needed. And he had some struggles in this series. He really did. I mean, you look at game one. <clears throat> excuse me. Yes, uh, game, excuse me, not game one. Uh, you look at uh, game, uh, what was that? Game two. Game one. What I said the first time. Game one, 13 for 29. You know, not awful, but 33 points. But he had some struggles under uh, under 45% from the field. You look at game number two. That came two. Game two, where you're eight for 25, and you know, but he had 14 rebounds, had uh, 14 assists, excuse me, eight rebounds. You know, so he affected the game in other ways. You know, game number, I said that was game three where Derrick Rose hit that buzzer. That's where he had the 27 points, but the eight for 25 for the field. But game number four, 10 for 30 from the field. Obviously, not very good, but he affected the game in other ways uh, with the 14 rebounds and 80 assists. That's the beauty of LeBron James. He, he's not always going to give you uh, big-time points night in and night out, but he's going to affect the game in other ways, and that's the beauty of LeBron James. We're going to bring in a guy now who obviously had a big-time effect during his NFL career, Hall of Famer, Willie Rofe. Willie. How's it going? How are you? Good. Let me ask you this now. Let's get to, Let's get right down to it. Tom Brady suspended four games. Patriot organization lose a first in 2016, lose a fourth in 2017. Organization fine $1 million. You okay with the punishment? Um, I think it was a little excessive. Uh, you know, for, uh, well, I mean, I understand Brady, but I didn't know that I mean, to find a team of million dollars and to take a first-round pick, you know, uh, for for that, I, I don't, I don't know, Paul. I mean, especially when they found out about it, and and they said, and they said that, um, they said that, um, you know, they they found out about it, in, in the second half, they 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 had the they had the regular balls, and they still outscored them by, you know, twenty twenty four points. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I t- I totally agree. I mean, I, I guess. I mean, the league almost had to do something, and and maybe they inflated the punishment, if you will, because mm-hmm. they know possibly an appeal could change. But Roger Goodell is going to be hearing the appeal when it's all said and done. Do you think that's a mistake for Roger Goodell? Do you think he should step away from this? I think he should. Yes, I think he should step away from that. Of course, if they're going to have an appeal, you know, how can you have an appeal? I know usually he left Carl uh, Henderson, who – Went to Michigan State with my was at Michigan State with my parents, uh, who's been working for the NFL for a long time. He usually oversees uh, 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 some of the stuff. He'll let him uh, take over. I know he let the old commissioner do it, but hell, him and I used to see him at the Pro Bowl all the time. He's worked with the NFL for years, and he was at Michigan State when my dad was there. But uh, you know, he he should step away from it. But I, I you know when it gets to this point, Paul. 
Is it more about what's really going on between uh, the punishment, or is it more who's who, who, who's going to show who who's got control? So is it almost personal on some level? I want to say I think, personal. I think to say. a certain point it is. I think I think I think to a certain point it it, it, it it's getting personal. I think it's turned into more. I'm the commissioner. I don't care who it is. I'm gonna send a message to them. Look what he did to the Saints. Okay. Uh, I think for some of the owners, him doing this to them, he might get people talking about they're gonna get mad. I think him doing this to to the Patriots. You know, as great a football team as they are, I think this might get him some brownie points with okay. some other organizations. But let me and we talked about it. we both believe believe that it is a mistake for him to hear the appeal. And, you know, here's the reality also. If he hears the appeal and he reduces it, well, people are going to say, well, you know, Bob Kraft and him are boys. That's your boy. You hooked up your boy. Well, and if he doesn't do it, if he keeps the suspension the same, everything, the punishment the same, well, they're going to say, well, you you already knew about this. You've seen all the information. So what's the reason for the appeal? Basically, you just wasted everybody's time. So, it's just no way he can win with this whole situation. And we'll, we'll see what happens with it moving forward. I know last week, Willie, you said that no matter the suspension, no matter what happens, that you feel like this doesn't change Tom Brady's legacy. You feel the same way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, come on now. Tom Brady's done what he's done. I mean, he's he's been an excellent quarterback. He's had a, a several years there that I didn't even know the receivers. He, he would have receivers that teams let go. And next thing you know, they will be playing at a, at a high level. I mean, think about it. Randy Moss had his best year, arguably, as a pro when he catched 21, 22 touchdowns when he went to Oakland and didn't do anything for three years. He went to New England and had his best year. I mean, he's taking receivers, you know, and turned them into household names that people didn't even know anything about. So I think I think Tom Brady's one of those guys, you know, you know, like LeBron James, they talked about that today who he can take guys like Jordan did with Judd Bushler and some of these guys who wouldn't even know about on the roster and turn them and make everybody play at a higher level. And I think that's what makes Tom Brady what has made him so great is not just what he's been able to do. He's taking guys that maybe not would have been as good on other teams, and those guys have played above and beyond. And you can say that about what LeBron James is doing with Shumpert and some of these other guys and, that that you that, and uh, the guard that came off the bench. I mean, he holds. When you play with with players that are that 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 good of players, and you see how they come out and play in night in and night out, it makes you step your game up and play at a higher level because you respect those guys, and they and they and they and they make you more make these other guys more competitive. We're talking to Hall of Famer Willie Rofe, and Willie. Now you have obviously the situation with the Flake Gate. It's going to go to appeal, and ultimately we'll see what happens. Do you think the suspension get reduced, or, or do you think it stays the same? Uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to. Re- I, I, I don't think the commission is going to try to reduce it. I mean, maybe maybe the fines, maybe uh, maybe something else. But I, I mean, I don't I don't see him trying to. If, if, it's, if Tom Brady's the one he's saying that was culpable in it, so. Why would he, why would they try why would they reduce the games if Tom Brady's the one who was the one dealing with the balls? So I I don't I don't I don't see that part of it being reduced. Now I don't know about the fine or the you know like what's what's worse is the first, a first round pick, man, and 
next year's draft. So I, I don't know if that part might be able to get reduced. You know, I, I mean, I don't think the million dollars really matters to Robert Kraft, but I think the draft picks are more important to that organization than anything else. Now we're talking to Hall of Famer Willie Rofe, and obviously, so at the, when it's all said and done, you believe everything will stay the same. Now I, I look at this whole situation, obviously, and you know, I it just, I mean, it, it's to me, it, you look at, you know, the deflating of football. You hear various quarterbacks come out, and you, you hear various opinions come out, and it, it, it's kind of, you know, you, you, you get a split in terms of the views of this whole situation. You wonder now uh, with this appeal, and let's say, let's just say the appeal gets reduced. Do you think it changes the perception of Tom Brady? Does it help him? Does it hurt him? What, what does it do? No, I think it stays the same. I don't think it really changes anything. Okay. I just think it drags this out. I just think it's more about they feel like they didn't do anything wrong, or they, you know, they don't. Care. I don't feel like it was it was as as big a deal as they made it be, made it to be. I understand. But but both quarterbacks had to play with those balls, so if, if, it doesn't matter if they deflated a little bit or not. Both quarterbacks used the same ball, so it wasn't it wasn't an unfair advantage, you know. You know, either, either side because they both they both could have felt the ball and knew you know were playing with them. Now you know if one of them had a, a ball that was harder and had a one of them softer, that'd be different. But I just feel like now I don't even think it's about the deflating. I just think it's about Who's gonna be? Who's gonna? Who's gonna? Who's gonna win? At the end of the day, now it's about ego and about who's gonna be right and who's gonna be wrong. And I think Tom Brady and 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 the organization for for the Patriots want to be right in the court of public opinion. And I, and I don't think it has to do as much about the fake game anymore. Now, Willie, before we get out of here, I got to ask you this: Your Clippers last night um, blew a big eighteen-point lead. Um, now, oh my God! After being up three-one, now they're going back to Houston. Game seven. What happened? The Clippers are good enough to beat them on the road. Um, the Clippers are going to step up. I think they win the game seven. Houston, Houston. I mean, I don't understand how you blow an eighteen-point lead. That, that's what we're talking about here, Paul. That's the difference between the LeBron James team and the Clippers team that hadn't been there. Just learning how to do it. LeBron has been the five consecutive conference finals. Uh, Chauncey Billups have been the seven in a row. So, I mean, when you go to five straight conference finals and, and have a chance, and, I, and I'm going to tell you something, if the Cavaliers can get, get past whoever needs to conference final and make it to the finals, I mean, it's going to be hard to bet against them because of the experience and, and, and the roster he has have experience. The difference between him and you're dealing with uh, a Golden State or a Clipper team, or uh, you know, or a Houston team. Uh, uh, Memphis has experience, but those guys haven't been there before. So sure. you know, just like just like what happened with remember what happened with Oklahoma when they, when Oklahoma made it and uh, they got embarrassed against Miami. They have a lot of experience on that Cleveland Cavaliers team, and it seems like guys are stepping up and playing. And, and and Kyrie went out and LeBron didn't even have to do a lot yesterday, but the other guys have been playing playing some great basketball. But to your point, I, I mean, I, I don't. I was watching that game; it was unbelievable. It just looked like the Clippers. They, they just let them walk them down. It, it was no sense of urgency for the Clippers 
at all, right. Paul. I don't understand what they were thinking. When, when you got that kind of lead, I mean, I, I need to see a sense of urgency. Look at the stats. What, did Chris Paul, what did Blake, what did they do in the fourth quarter? I don't know if they scored a bucket. I know they were four for 22 in that fourth quarter. So, you know, 18%. So it's, it's obviously, you know, it was, it was, it was a choking. And James, Harden, and James Harden was on the bench. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, it, it happens in the NBA sometimes where you get that new unit in there and they come out and they spark the team and ultimately they get the W. Willie, got to get going. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thank you for having me. Take care. Hall of Famer, Willie Rofe, second hour of Go For It, starting right now. Welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean see anything in the playoffs, Tom. When the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I was, uh, to throw you, you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around you. I just don't know what you're capable. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's not Robbie. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> and we're back. Go for it. Blog Talk Radio. Second hour. Go for it. Start right now. We're about to bring in a guy now. He's a part of a big time movie. Uh, straight out of Compton. Coming out August 14th. I'm excited for the movie. I mean, I, I loved NWA growing up. I mean, I, I had the privilege of having older siblings, and I heard uh, some of NWA's uh, uh, big-time music over the years. And um, so I'm excited for this movie. I'm excited to see uh, what happens on screen. I can't wait. We're going to bring in a guy who was a part of that. Let's bring him in now, actor uh, Sheldon A. Smith. Hey, hey. How are you, man? How are you? How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let me ask you this now. Obviously, you're a part of this great movie, Straight Outta Compton. You play Warren G. How did this come about yep. for you? Uh, man, I play Warren G. Yeah, so um, pretty much my manager, Michael Abrams, he got me the audition, and I went in there. I just killed it, man. I'm from L.A. I'm an L.A. native. Um, I'm from California, so I know everything about the whole culture and the whole music, and I just I went in there. I just did my thing, man. This had to be a dream come true for you, being that you are a California kid. Definitely a dream come true. I, man, as a kid, I used to grow up listening to Warren G, NWA, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Ice Cube. So for me to actually to relive their dream and live out my dream was amazing, honestly. How did you prepare for the role of Warren G? I listened to a lot of West Coast music, you know. I just talked, I worked with my West Coast, my West Coast uh, twang. 
Uh, I worked on my seawalk, my delivery, and I just went in there and I, I did my thing. So give us some kind of West Coast slang that you had to work on. Uh, mount up, regulated. It was a clear black night, a clear white moon. When D was on the street trying to consume, you know, <laughs> working on a couple of verses. You had yeah. to say breeze. You had to say breezies as well. I know that's a California thing. Yeah, you know, cuz, you know. <laughs> Obviously, man, yeah. you were on on set with some legends uh, of the West Coast rap game, Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, to name a few. How was it on set with I, those guys? It was crazy because it was just like maybe two weeks after uh, um, um, Dr. Dre sold beats. Um, so it was it was wild, all that energy. You know, he just sold beats for $3 billion. And, you know, he was on set giving me directions. So I was just like, wow, I was literally star-studded. Like, this is Dr. Dre giving me direction on set right now. It was just an unbelievable experience. I remember, I remember the first day I got to set, right? The first day I got to set, it was naked women everywhere. And I had to do my scene. I kept dropping my lines. I was like, yo, what's my line? <laughs> yeah, it, so, it, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> so a lot of naked breezies on set. Breezies, you already know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, did you get, obviously you were, like you said, I mean, seeing those guys, you know, you, you, you got caught up a little bit. Were, were you able uh-huh. to talk to any of those guys? Yeah, I got to sit down and I got to talk to Dr. Dre. I was like, yo, Dre, I was like, where's Warren G at? And he was like, man, you know Warren G, he be doing his own thing. I was like, man, I wish I would have had a chance to talk to him. He was like, you'll see him, don't trip. So I got to sit down and talk to Dre and his wife for a little bit. It was pretty cool. So when, when did you when did you feel like you finally you got this down like you are Warren G you got this down what at what point did you say I am Warren G? Uh, from the first day I went in, I, from the, from my manager sent me the uh, the email saying you're going out for Warren G. That's when I told myself I said oh yeah I'm Warren G. <laughs> I, I knew it. <laughs> I was like this is my role. This is a dream come true. We're talking to one of the stars of Straight Outta Compton, actor yes, Sheldon yes. A. Smith. Now now Sheldon. I know you play a little basketball, man. You you had an opportunity to be a Division One player. Tell us about that. Yeah, man. I actually I actually played on the same uh, bas- uh, travel basketball team with James Harden, Branch West Nike. Um, okay. It was crazy, man. I played against some of the some of the uh, elite basketball players in the NBA now. Uh, against Russell Westbrook, uh, against Kevin Love. I played uh, on the same team as James Harden. So you know, I was getting looked out by I was getting looked at from a few uh, colleges, uh, San Diego, uh, Oregon State. Uh, Portland State, Montana. Yeah. But uh, entertainment was where my heart was, and I pursued entertainment. So that's what happened with basketball. Now, do you do you keep in touch with James Harden? Did you develop a, a relationship, a bond with him? Uh, I, I spoke with him a couple years back, but we haven't uh, really kept a, a relationship going. But, you know, when we see each other, it's all love. Do you miss the – do you wish that you would have been able to play Division One basketball? Uh – not really, because I'm actually okay. living out my dreams. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm you know I'm, I'm on the big screen now, so I'm I'm happy about that. But We're you know, talking every time, I, every, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was a I was a huge Duke fan, so I was it was extremely I was extremely happy to see Duke win and take it. Okay, all right. You know, brothers yeah. don't like Duke. <laughs> <laughs> I was a JJ Reddick fan. And, okay, you know, all, right, all right, right now. all right. Yeah. Now you. Obviously, you've been paying attention to these playoffs. So who's your basketball team? Uh, I'm a Lakers. I believe Lakers purple and gold. But right. uh, but I'm, I'm rooting for actually I'm rooting for I'm rooting for the Clippers. 
But I think I think uh, Golden State's gonna take it all. I don't think the NBA has an answer for Steph Curry. I think this performance in the playoffs and through the season is magical. You know, I think he's really gonna take it and really step up. So you you got the Warriors. Who's gonna come out of the East? Uh, Cleveland. I Cleveland? definitely so- think LeBron. Yeah, I think LeBron's going back to the uh, finals for the fifth consecutive year. Who wins it all? Yeah. Well, no. If they play the Warriors, I don't. I don't think they would get past. Thing is, LeBron has experience, and that might get him over the edge. But I just feel like I just feel like I see something in Steph Curry. I just feel like he's hungry. You know. Okay. Do you feel like yeah. this is Steph Curry's year? I do. I truly do. Now, like you said, you you play basketball. Who, who in the NBA? Who's style of, a, of game in the NBA is similar to yours. Uh, I would say Chris Paul. Okay. Uh, Chris Paul meets uh, JJ Reddick because I was a I was a three point shooter. You know. All right. Yeah. So you had three point range. You also got others involved. Yeah, I had quickness and I had awareness. I had dimes, assists. All right. All right. Yeah. We're, we're talking to one of the stars of Straight Outta Compton, Sheldon A. Smith, and Sheldon he plays Warren G on that great movie that's coming out. August 14th. At the end of the day, yeah. why should I go out and see this movie? You should go see this movie because it's it's the grandfather of gangster rap, you know, hip-hop, the L.A. culture. And, it, you know, there's a lot of things that's going on today that was going on in um, 1996 and 1992 with the L.A. riots and stuff. You know, they're having riots in Baltimore. Right. So I think it's really going to speak to our youth and to the masses. For sure. Now, Sheldon, before we get out of here, I want to play a game with you. I want to play Name That N.W.A. Song. I'm going to give you some lyrics from an N.W.A. song, and you're going to name the song. You ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. (laughs) Messing with me because I'm a teenager with a little bit of gold and a pager. Is it A, Chin Check? Is it B, Gangster Gangster? Or is it C, F the Police? At the police. Okay, uh, all right. You're right. Correct. Yep, yep. Song <laughs> number two. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Clocking much dollars on the first and on the first and fifteenth, big wads of money, nothing less than a twenty. Is that straight out of Compton? Is that automobile? Or is that dope man? I'm gonna go with uh I'm going to go with uh, Straight Outta Compton. You're going with Straight Outta Compton? You sure? Is that your final uh, answer? <laughs> That's not my final answer. I'm going with Dope Man. Dope man. <laughs> you are correct. Dope Man. <laughs> there it is. All right. Uh, Song number three. Okay. You are now about to witness the strength of straight street knowledge. <laughs> You're right. Straight, straight Outta Compton. Compton. Correct. Yeah. You did well. You know you're NWA. All day. Got to represent the West Coast. <laughs> who was your favorite? Who was your favorite member of NWA? To me, Ice Cube was the best member of NWA. In your opinion, who who was the best? Uh, I, would, I would go Ice Cube. I just think okay. his lyrics and his whole, his whole attitude. You know, I love Dr. Dre. You know, he was the creator of all the music and stuff. But I just think Ice Cube had the attitude. He had that edge. You know? Right. Right. I, yeah. I agree. I thought Ice Cube was the best. I thought he was the most talented. And, and it's funny. Yeah. I mean, you look at Ice Cube. And the way he's kind of rebranded himself, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I got, I got a little story. I actually met Ice Cube 10 years ago on the set uh, Friday After Next. 
and it was like three, four o'clock in the morning, and um, they were out there shooting. You know, all the neighborhood kids they were out. You know, they were handing out candy and stuff. Then my mom, she was screaming from the balcony, the balcony like, "Sheldon, get in the house! It's too late!" Then out of nowhere, Ice Cube goes, "Who is Sheldon? And he needs to get home." And um, yeah, he came over like, "Yo, you need to go home. It's too late." Then he he signed an autograph, a one dollar bill that I still have to this day. And I just, you know, it was just a crazy experience being Ice Cube uh, twelve years ago. Let me ask you this now. Obviously, you have Stray Outta Compton coming out in August. What else is going on with Sheldon A. Smith? Uh, I'm in the running for a few uh, TV shows right now. I'm not going to put anything out there. But, uh, yeah, I think you're going to look at me on the small screen soon. Okay. All right. So we're expecting to see you on the small screen. I know you're doing some things behind the scenes. What's going on with that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I do have another film coming out that I actually produced. Uh, it's called Keep the Faith. It's a, a faith-based film. And uh, we, we raised money through uh, a crowdfunding, and we got everything shot, and we're getting ready to get distribution soon. We're working on that right now. So look out for Keep the Faith. Um, I'm the lead in that film, and I actually, I produced it. It's directed by uh, Troy Skinner. Yeah. But, yeah, and I'm also working on the, uh, a new venture. It's, it's, a, it's an app called Exclusive. It's a party okay. app. Yeah, so say you want to check out one of the hottest clubs in L.A., you can go down on the app. And you can say you want to scroll through, and you can check out One Oak. You can actually watch One Oak in real time and see the venues and things like that. So look okay. out for the app. It's called Exclusive. Yeah. All right. So, so a lot of great things going on with Sheldon. Hey, Smith, you ain't seen Suge Knight on set, did you? Nah, I seen Suge Knight at the comedy store two months before <laughs> I was shooting. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. Crazy. Yeah. So fans, support all the great things going on with Sheldon A. Smith. Make sure you check out Straight Outta Compton. Coming to theaters August 14th. Also, hit this man up on Twitter at Sheldon A underscore Smith and support all the great things going on with Sheldon Smith. Sheldon, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do this again. Thanks, Paul. Thanks thanks for having me, man. No doubt. Take care. Okay. Sounds good. Have a good one. You too. Sheldon Smith, Sheldon A. Smith, excuse me, one of the stars of Straight Outta Compton coming August 14th to a theater near you. Support all the great things going on with Sheldon A. Smith. Support all the great things going on with Straight Out of Compton. Um, obviously, you know, NWA obviously one of the most influential rap groups in the history of rap. Obviously, I mean, they, they, they're a group that, you know, they, they, they changed the way. They're, they're the fathers of gangster rap. They're the fathers of gangster rap. And and so obviously, you know, this this group did a lot over the years. And, you know, it's controversial for sure. Very controversial. You know, they were they were they were before the time before their time. They definitely were before their time. Trailblazers, if you will. Hate them or love them, they're trailblazers. For sure. But it was a pleasure talking to Sheldon A. Smith. And I can't wait for the movie. I'm gonna see it. I'm not a big movie guy. But I'm going to see Straight Out of Compton coming August 14th this summer. So I'm definitely going to see that. Let's go back to the NFL now. And Zach Mettenberger, quarterback, Tennessee Titans, well, you know, he says he's going to fight for a starting job. And I wouldn't expect him to say none, nothing less. I mean, he said he's going to make it hard on Marcus Mariota. Quote, I don't know what the mindset is, but at the end of the day, I can just control what I do, and I'm extremely confident in myself almost to a fault. 
That's what he said to ESPN's Adam Kaplan. But people who know me know I'm going down. I'm not going down, excuse me, without a fight to the death. So, obviously, he wants the job. Obviously, Mariota wants the job. Obviously, if you're the Titans, you draft a quarterback in the, uh, with the second pick, you believe he's going to get the job, whether it's this year or, or next, but he's, it's definitely going to be his job at some point in time. That That's definitely, definitely the belief. You don't draft a guy number two without believing that person is going to be your quarterback. Mariota was drafted number two to be a franchise quarterback. He's the franchise quarterback. I think ultimately Mariota gets the job, but you know some people believe that there's going to be a, a learning a learning curve for Mariota. You know, obviously you look at Mettenberger; he does have the advantage coming into this. Excuse me, coming into this because he knows the offense. He knows the offense. He knows the offense better than Mariota. Mariota's going to have to make adjustments. Mariota is used to being under center. Obviously, Mettenberger has done that. Mariota is not used to that. Mariota is not used to uh, a different type of offense. He's used to that spread offense that he had in Oregon with Chip Kelly. So we'll see. <clears throat> it's going to be interesting. But they're going to battle to the end. Mettenberger's going to fight to the death. He's going to fight to the death. We'll see. In terms of him fighting to the death, will that be enough to get him the job? Will that be enough to to have him as the starting quarterback of the Tennessee Titans? Time will be the judge. How about this? Uh, T.J. Ward. T.J. Ward has a tattoo now of the Golden State Warriors logo on him. He tattooed the Warriors logo on him. And, you know, it happens. I mean, I think everybody can can talk about, not everybody, but a lot of people can talk about some of the stupid tattoos that they got. I got some stu- uh, stupid tattoos, uh, a Nike swoosh sign that I would love to get rid of. I would love to lose it. I would love to take it off. I would love to. I really would. You know, I would really love to take that off. But obviously it's not going anywhere because I'm not taking it off. I'm not paying for it. So it's going to stay. But uh, T.J. Ward, he might regret that moving forward. Actually, it's a nice tattoo, but <clears throat> excuse me. But he might regret that one moving forward. I mean, come on, come on, T.J. I know you're young, man. I know you're dumb. Because to be young is to be dumb. But you're gonna have to, you're, you're you're gonna hate that one in the morning. You're most definitely gonna hate that one in the morning. You for sure are gonna hate that one. But he got it, and hopefully for him, his Warriors can get it done. And let's go to that series now. We look at that series, and the Warriors now, they go to Memphis, to the grindhouse, and we look at the Memphis Grizzlies now. Obviously, they went out, got a 2-1 lead on the Golden State Warriors. A lot of people were talking. You know, Tony Allen was, was locking down. Clay Thompson and, and Steph Curry was struggling. And we're saying now, and you, you got Gasol and, and Zebo, Zach Randolph beating up the Warriors down low. And you're thinking now, maybe this Grizzlies team – can get it done, and maybe a jump-shooting team but like the Warriors will eventually get solved, and maybe when those jump shots aren't falling, the Warriors are going to struggle. But even when they were down 2-1, the Warriors, I 
looking at the whole situation. I, I had the Warriors obviously going to the NBA Finals. I believe the Golden State Warriors are still going to get to the NBA Finals. And, you know, this team, say what you want about them being a jump-shooting team. One thing about the Golden State Warriors that a lot of people fail to realize and, and sometimes forget is that this team defends. They defend. And they were the best defensive team in basketball. They defend. And you don't win 67 ball games just shooting jump shots and not defending. The Warriors defend it. Big time. And here's the thing about this team. You know, they, they defend it. And, you know, they, they, they got it done. And I said points per game, but uh, in terms of defensive efficiency, they're number one. Uh, but you look at this team, they're number one in terms of points per game. And, you know, in terms of defensive efficiency, they're number one in that stat as well. So this team not only can score the basketball, but they can defend the basketball. And they've defended the basketball throughout the course of this season, and they've scored the basketball throughout the course of this season. Obviously, it doesn't help that Tony Allen missed game number five for the Grizzlies. That, that doesn't help, obviously. But Tony Allen is going to try to play tonight. Tony Allen has said that he's not 100%. He's not 100% at this point. But he's going to go out and try to do what he can do and see what he can do to, to help his team get to a game seven. And I think Tony Allen's going to go out there, perform, and motivate this uh, Grizzlies basketball team. Now, one thing about this Grizzlies team, you know, this is a tough basketball team. And on some level, a playoff-tested basketball team. Obviously, they haven't taken that next step in terms of getting to the NBA Finals, but they have been to the conference final. And, you know, they've, they've, uh, it's a tough team. It's a tough-minded basketball team. But obviously, <clears throat> you're going to need guys on the wings to score. And obviously, you're going to need your defenders to limit the Warriors in terms of scoring the basketball. The Grizzlies can do it. Tony Allen <clears throat> has to be the guy to do it. He has to be the guy to do it. He has to be the guy that that's going to be out, go out there and try to limit Clay Thompson. He's going to have to be that guy. Obviously, Mike Conley having him back is a big boost. But again, Steph Curry's an MVP for a reason. He's an MVP for a reason. And, and so, <clears throat> Steph Curry is going to get his points. He, he, he's going to do his thing. He's going to make plays. He's going to make plays. And so I think the Grizzlies get it done tonight, but I think it goes back to Oracle, Game 7. And I think Game 7, when it's all said and done, that's when the Warriors win Game 7 and ultimately win this series. That's what I think happens. <clears throat> because I, I just – Obviously, I think Golden State's the better basketball team. But Memphis is a team with a lot of pride and a tough, gritty, grimy team. And they're in the grindhouse, and they play well at the grindhouse in Memphis. So a gritty grind, uh, a gritty team that grinds it out and gets it done. I, I like Memphis tonight. It's going to be a good game, obviously. It's going to be a close game, obviously. But I think Memphis gets it done, and I'm looking forward to it tonight. And also, you got the other game six going on right now. Uh, where the the Hawks and the Washington Wizards, John Wall, came back. And I, I want to go back to that game five with the Hawks and um, the Hawks and the uh, uh, the Wizards. And 
I want to talk about Al Horford in that play. That was a man's rebound. It was just, urgh. that was a man's rebound there. That rebound in traffic was a man's rebound. That was a man. Al Horford's a man. And that rebound was a man's rebound. He went that one, and it was, it was one of those, give me that rebound. It's almost like you heard him say, give me that. And he went up and grabbed that rebound, snatched it out of the air, and laid it in. That was a man's rebound by Al Horford. And that was the guy who wanted it. He wanted it more than anyone else. He wanted it more than anyone else. And he went out there and he grabbed that board and he laid in. And what a big play. And you had Paul Pierce. You know, he hit that bank shot. First thing he said was ball game. You know, he's been talking throughout the courses of playoffs. He hits a big three. He mouths, this is why they brought me here. And then he hit that three, three. in game number, game four. number four. Game number game five, number five excuse, me. excuse me. And when he, after he hit that three, he said, reportedly, series. So that's why they brought me here, ball game, and series. <clears throat> excuse me. But one thing, Paul Pierce, being a veteran that he is, being a guy who's been through many playoff wars, who's been to an NBA Finals, two of them to be exact, who's won an NBA championship, you know that game ain't over till you hear and hear that horn and see all zeros. The game ain't over till you see all zeros on that scoreboard. And so, in some respect, Paul Pierce, that wasn't really a veteran move. They didn't bring you here, Paul Pierce, to talk trash to the point where, you know, you're, 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 you're saying series. You can't say that, Paul. You're better than that, as Mark Jackson would say. You know better. You know better, Paul. And I'm not saying that cost him the game, him saying series. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying he knows better. But Paul Pierce talks trash with the best of them. There's, uh, he talks trash with the best of them. And John Wall, you know, he's trying to come back and, and trying to get this team to a seventh game right now in the third quarter. Atlanta up 14, 57 to 43. And, and one thing about this Atlanta Hawks team, obviously this is a team that no one expected to be here when the season started. No one expected the Atlanta Hawks to win 60 ball games, But they've done it. They, they've done it the Spurs way, if you will. Everybody involved, Corver, Horford, Millsap, Teague, you know, Damari Carroll, uh, Schroeder, you know, they've all, it's a team effort. And, you know, you look at this game now, and you look at the last time the Hawks were involved in a game six, and that was against the Brooklyn Nets in the first round of the NBA playoffs. And obviously the Wizards are a better team than the Brooklyn Nets. But one thing to give the Hawks a lot of credit, they put their, their foot on the neck of the Brooklyn Nets and blew them out in that game number six, and ultimately won the series. And that's what you have to do in these playoffs. And I say this all the time, and I'm going to repeat it, and I say it all the time, and I'm going to continue to repeat this. Reality is, when you have an opportunity to put a team away, Clippers up 19 in the third quarter, when you have an opportunity to put a team away, you have to put them away. And, and you can't mess around. And the Cavaliers last night 
did what championship teams do. They went into that game six in Chicago. Kyrie Irving banged up. They went in there and, 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 and just, you know, put their foot on the neck of that Bulls team last night. LeBron James had an off-shooting night, but he did it with the rebounds, he did it with the assists, and he did it with the block shot. He did it. He did all the other parts of the game. He did it all. He did all the other parts of the game. And that's the beauty of LeBron James. He doesn't just control or, or, or uh, dominate one part of the game. He dominates various parts of a game. But that's what teams do. The Clippers may regret what they didn't do in game six, especially being up 19 points. They may, they, they, that might come back to, to haunt them. And here's the other issue with that. You play extra games, there's more opportunity for guys to get hurt. You know, Kyrie Irving is struggling through these playoffs with injuries. Chris Paul is struggling through playoffs with injuries. Obviously, John Wall struggling through these playoffs with his wrist injury. You want to play the least amount of games as possible. It's the first to 16. The first to win 16 games in these playoffs. You want to play the least amount of games as possible. If the Bulls, I mean, if the Cavaliers lose that game, now they got to bring Kyrie Irving back in a game seven, a must-win game seven, and he might not be 100%. And it's for all the marbles. And we all know what happens in a game seven. It's one game. So you could play your best game on that night or you could play your worst game on that night. And if you play your worst game on that night, you're going home. That's the beauty. That, that, that's the beauty of that one game. And so the Clippers, you had that opportunity to put your foot on the neck of the Rockets. I mean, this was a team that you dominated in game four, a team that you were up three games to one, a team that you were up 19 points against, a team that you were up 13 points going into the fourth quarter. You can't go four for 22 from the field and expect to win a game. That's not how you close out games. That's not what championship teams do. You show championship toughness, championship medal, in that game one, in that game, in that first round series against the Spurs. You show toughness in that series. A lot of it. But you had a Rockets team on the ropes. I mean, they they were close to quitting. Referee was about to step in and stop the game. And you didn't put them away. You may have needed a body shot to put them away. You might have needed one more body shot to put them away. You didn't do it. You get outscored 51-20 to 20, uh, from the end of the third into the fourth. Inexcusable, unacceptable, and, and it's not something championship caliber teams do. They don't do that. And maybe the Clippers are just not ready. Maybe they're just not ready, and they're built to win now. And maybe they're just not ready. And, you know, like I said before, Doc Rivers, Chris Paul, you know, the, the leaders of that basketball team, this is on you. Now, let's see what you can do now, Chris. Let's see what you can do now, Blake. Let, let, let's see what you can do now, Jamal. Let's see what you boys can do now going to game seven. But the Hawks, what they did uh, against the Nets in that first round, they had that team down. They put their foot on their neck and they put them away, beat them by a lot. The Cavaliers last night put their foot on the neck of the Bulls. The Clippers 
They they had him down. They had him against the ropes, but they couldn't put that that foot on that neck. And ultimately, now the Rockets live to fight another day, and they're playing Game Seven Sunday in Houston. A guy I'm about to bring in now who was down on the Rockets. This man was was down on the Rockets, and and, and you know uh, talked very bad about the Rockets after Game Four, where the Rockets got blown out. And, you know, I, I thought the Clippers were going to win this in six. This man thought the Rockets, uh, the Clippers were going to win in five. I'm shocked that we're going to game seven. I really am. But, you know, maybe this Clippers team is just not ready. But we'll see. We're going to bring in a guy now knows a lot about the sport of basketball, our NBA analyst and Ryder University assistant basketball coach, Marlon Gill. Marlon. Hey, Paul. How you doing, man? Hey, how Paul. You? How's it going, man? Doing well. Let me ask you this. Let's get right. Let's get right down to it. Let's start with what we saw last night with the Clippers. It choked it away. Final 15 minutes. I mean, you're outscored by 31 points. Now, you're going to Game Seven in Houston. History tells us favor the home team. Can the Clippers win Game Seven in Houston? I, I think they can. Uh... You know, going into last night's game, and you pretty much hit it right on the head. That was a uh, a choking effort, uh, and, and that's putting it uh, lightly. Uh, you, you know, and you you were pretty right on, man. When you got a team down, you got to stomp on their throat and give them no kind of life whatsoever. Uh, and you know, the Clippers they, they didn't do that, and now they're in the situation they're in. Game seven on the road is never easy. Uh, the percentages aren't in their favor, but, uh, you know, from a coaching standpoint, you know, and, and this is, uh, no knock on Kevin McHale. Uh, you know, I, I gotta go with doc rivers. Um, you, you know, he's a guy that's been proven in, in these games and, you know, I, I don't even think Kevin McHale's probably been in a meaningful game seven, probably since the Celtic days. So, <laughs> You know, I'm going to go with with the Clippers, and the reason why I say that is this: they've already been battle tested. Uh, game seven against the Spurs in, in the last round was probably one of the best games of the playoffs, and, and there have been a lot of good ones, but that game is prob- probably right up there uh, with all the other games. And you know, Chris Paul's legacy is on the line once again, and, and what he does tomorrow is going to affect his career, you, you know, where we always have him in that upper echelon of, of point guards. You know, he's got to do it again uh, tomorrow night, and, and it will be interesting to see how they respond. Uh, you know, it's one of those games when, when you're the guy on your team in, in a game seven, you got to be the leader. And, and not to say that Chris isn't that, but, you know, it, I look at it, like Michael Jordan a long time ago, and, and trust me, being a Knicks fan, he's uh, broken my heart many <laughs> years. But uh, in, in big games, he came to play, and he had those other guys follow his lead. And if they didn't follow, he did what he had to do for them to get the win. And that's what Chris Paul has to do tomorrow night. Uh, you know, had the guys follow his lead. It's probably one of those things, man, where you walk into the locker room, you don't even have to say much. Everybody knows what's on the line. And, uh, you know, veteran teams, veteran players understand that. Uh, it's somewhat similar to 
how the uh, just to go off on a tangent, how the New York Rangers were the other night. I heard their locker room was all business like, and you know everybody was locked in. That that's how the Clippers have to be uh, tomorrow. You know everybody has to have their stone cold Clint Eastwood face on and <laughs> ready to go because if you don't, you know the Rockets are, are on an all time high right now, winning the last two games, and, and the thing that sticks out to me the most is the confidence that the Rockets as a team are having, you know, w- without James Harden. Uh, you know, I know he had the triple-double the other night, but the previous game, they came back and won that game without him. So, you know, they're at an all-time high playing. Uh, Brewer played out of his mind last night, so he's going to play with more confidence. So, you know, th- those are all factors, you know, that, that go against the Clippers, but I, I just think Chris Paul won't, won't let his team down tomorrow night. But let me ask you this now, Marlon. I mean, you talk about that sense of urgency. You talk about being business. Like, shouldn't that have happened last night? Oh, no, without a doubt. It should have. And I think that's where you see the inexperience uh, of a team. Now, the only thing that helps the Clippers is that the Rockets are just as inexperienced as, as the Clippers. Uh, you know, you look at a guy, yeah, James Harden played in the finals, so he, he knows what it's like. And then you got Dwight Howard that plays in the fi- played in the finals. I don't think he really understood what it was like. You know, when he was in Orlando, he was younger. Um, and, you know, they, they were no match for Kobe and the Lakers. So, you know, that that's where the toss-up begins. Uh, Jason Terry, you know, has been in big games, but I just think the Clippers, on the other hand, have, have had guys that have, had a chance to play in big games. And, you know, like I said, it goes back to Chris Paul, man. He's a guy that's never been to the Western Conference Final or Conference Finals uh, in any league that, that he's been in or any conference that he's been in. So, you know, the pressure's on him, but but I, I think he'll do what he needs to do to get the Clippers over the hump. We're talking to Ryder University assistant our NBA analyst, uh, Marlon Gill. And, and Marlon, let me ask you this. Last night we saw the, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers do what they needed to do in game six. They had the Bulls down. They, they they went on it. They went for the jugular, and ultimately they got it. So I look at the Chicago Bulls now, and, and obviously this is a team that might be in transition. You know, uh, Tom Thibodeau is probably gone, probably coached his last game last night. And you look at a Bulls team now that you wonder where they go from here. Is it they need a new voice? Is it they need uh, more talent? Is it they need to move some guys? Where do you see the Chicago Bulls team now at this point? Well, you know, before I go into talking about the Bulls, I just want to throw out there that uh, the kind of player LeBron James is, I mean, five conference finals in a row. Uh, for as much scrutiny as that guy takes, um, you know, I, I tell younger guys today, you probably didn't get a chance to see Michael Jordan play. This is This guy is probably – the last impact guy that the NBA will have uh, for quite some time. So, you know, for all the flack that he catches, I I just hope everybody appreciates what they're seeing with this guy when he steps on the floor because, you know, I don't think we'll ever see that again in the NBA. But uh, just going to the Bulls, uh, you know, it it might be time to, you know, retool a little bit, reshape the, the team, reshape the roster, you know, and then that starts, you know, maybe with Coach Thibodeau. Uh, you know, like you said, you hit it on the head. It might be time for a new voice. Um, I know some of the guys, 
you know, his way of teaching was getting kind of old. And when that happens, especially in the NBA, you got guys that are veterans that can tune a guy out. And I think that's what we're what we're seeing. I know the front office didn't give him much help, you know, because all year that's what you heard that, you know, this would be Coach Thibodeau's last year or he was on his last leg. And I think that's somewhat unfair because for as much as he says, you know, I'm the coach of this team until they tell me otherwise, you're thinking it, you know, and and there's nothing wrong with that. We're all human. You know, we always look over our shoulder a tad bit, you know, to see what's going on. So do I think it was fair? No. But at the end of the day, the NBA is a business. And, uh, you know, sometimes you got to start over to get, get back to the top. And, you know, I can see somebody like Coach Thibodeau moving on. Uh, you know, maybe it's time to, you know, move on one of their front court guys and get some youth and go from there. But, you know, you look at their their makeup, uh, you know, Derrick Rose, you know, still Derrick Rose, but to a certain degree last night, you know, some would say that he disappeared in that uh, second half. You know, they were relying on Jimmy Butler threes, uh you know, but that was pretty much it. You know, Derrick Rose is your stud in those kind of situations. He's got to step up, you know, whether he's hurt or not hurt. You know, that's what star players do. Um, and one point that stuck out to me last night was, uh, I believe it was during the halftime, halftime of the game, the announcers were actually talking about Jimmy Butler more than they were talking about Derrick Rose. And I looked at that as a little bit of the passing of the guard, passing of the torch, so to speak. Uh, Everybody's talking about, you know, Jimmy Butler will be a max player next year and and things like that. And I said, well, where does that leave Derrick Rose? And not to say that he's, you know, expendable, but, you know, maybe they're not looking at him as their number one guy anymore. Do you focus the team around uh, Jimmy Butler, and like I said, probably get rid of one of those big, bigger guys, and Taj Gibson, Gasol, or um, I'm, I'm forgetting the other big guy's name. Or, or Noah. And, 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 and Noah, thank you, and, and go from there and, and try to try to get a younger big. You know, maybe trade one of those guys to a veteran team that can use them. Uh, ironically, I would say this. I'll throw this out there. There's a guy that'll be a free agent, and he killed the Bulls last night, Tristan Thompson. Yeah. Do you try to get Tristan Thompson and maybe get rid of a Noah and send him to Cleveland? How ironic would that be for everything for sure. that Noah said about Cleveland? Um, you know, I, I look at that. Mm-hmm. I look at maybe getting another point guard, and I look at getting another shooter. You know, I was joking around with a friend of mine last night uh, about Tony Snell. Tony Snell hasn't been good since he cut his braids off. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, th- those are the kind of things that that, that I'm looking at. Uh, you know, Dunleavy is good. I, I think he'd probably be better suited coming off the bench to give them some firepower. Uh, you know, and just try to get a couple more pieces to, to go from there. But I, I definitely would agree with you. It's probably time to uh, retool and reshape the roster and, you know, start over a little bit. And there's nothing wrong with that. For sure. You look at now the Cavaliers, obviously, they go on now, and they'll face the winner of the Hawks and Wizards, and, and right now the Hawks are up eight points there. 
as they near the end of the third quarter. You look at the Cavaliers and, and you look at LeBron James and what they did last night, and also they did it without Kyrie Irving. I mean, the type of performance LeBron had last night, to me, you know, it, it shows the beauty of LeBron James. I mean, yes, his shot was all 7 for 25, 7 for 23, I believe. But he had the assists. He had the rebounds. He had the block shots. He did other parts of the game. Talk about that. Oh, you know what? It just goes back to what I said uh, earlier. You know, we've got to start appreciating what we've seen from LeBron James in the past and what we might see in the future because it's not going to last long. And, and like I said, he's probably the last thing we have to a uh, Michael Jordan-esque kind of player, a guy that we can just watch in awe and really just stand there and, and, you know, just be amazed at at what he can do. Yeah, you know, he he didn't shoot the ball well last night, you know, shot under 30%, which isn't good, but just look at how he impacts the game on other levels with the assists, the rebounds, Uh, just his presence alone on the floor will give Cleveland a chance to win every night, you know, and and it's almost, uh, you know, you and I went back and forth on this last week. Everybody's talking about Jimmy Butler being a Kobe stopper. (laughs) Cut it out. Like, let's, let's be honest. Jimmy Butler is a great player. Like I said, and and deserves everything that he's getting out and all the accolades, but LeBron's on a different level. If Jimmy Butler is a max level player, LeBron James is a max, max, max level player. Uh, it, you know, and, and it, it's unfair to him, you know, for all the scrutiny that, that he gets and things of that nature. But he, he handles it better than anybody I've ever seen. Uh, you know, with all the little team shots that he gets, both from the media and, and from opponents, it, it's unbelievable. Uh, the mental toughness that, that he has to continue to play through things and you know not be bothered. I don't, I don't know. A lot of guys that can do that, the special guys can, you know, the LeBrons, the Kobe's, the uh, Jordans of the world. So, you know, just watching him play, I think, you know, whomever wins this next series between uh, Atlanta and, and the Wizards, they'll be in for a tough uh, tough matchup. You know, I, I think Cleveland will end up winning the next series, whomever it is they play against. and you know, we'll be ready to go to the finals. I think the thing that helps them out the most right now is the rest that they're going to get. You know, depending on how this game between the Hawks and the Wizards end up, you're probably looking at Cleveland not playing again until Tuesday, Wednesday. In the NBA, that, that's a turn, an eternity of time for rest and, and to rehab your body with all the machines that the NBA has now, you know, with stimulation machines and getting guys ready to go. You know, so I'm sure, you know, LeBron will have those guys ready. Uh, Coach Blatt will have those guys ready. And, you know, I, I don't see either one of these teams stopping them in the next round, stop them from getting to the finals. Now, you said last week that you felt like the Memphis Grizzlies would win and, and beat, well, win this series against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, you know, the Grizzlies got out on the 2-1 lead. The Warriors won the last two games. Team have found their, their, their swing, you know, their, their rhythm, their swagger, if you will. Do you still feel like the Memphis Grizzlies are going to win this series? Oh, no, I I still think they will. Uh, the thing with Golden State is, you know, you can't let them get in the rhythm and you just got to guard the three-point line. Uh, everything 
starts and ends with the three-point line for them, whether that's Steph Curry coming off ball screens and getting a shot for himself or getting a pick-and-pop situation for Draymond Green. Uh, you know, if, if you can contain the three-point line, I, I think that makes it tough for them. And, you know, now you got Tony Allen coming back tonight. He didn't play in the last game. You know, he's a guy that's all defense, and everybody knows what he's capable of doing on the defensive end, and I think he'll be ready to go uh, tonight. But that's the key. You know, you got to be able to guard the three-point line. And, you know, I think Memphis just needs to continue to do the job of beating Golden State up on the inside. You know, you got to let Zach Randolph do what he does. you got to let uh, Mark Gasol do his thing in the paint as well. You know, and you just got to play inside out instead of playing outside in. Uh, percentages show when, when you play inside, you're more likely to score from the inside than you are from the outside. And I sure. think that's what Memphis just has to continue to do. And, you know, easier said than done. You know, like I said, those guys, Steph Curry, phenomenal shooter. Clay Thompson, phenomenal shooter. But, you know, I think if you can guard the three-point line and guard the pick-and-pop situations with Golden State, you know, you'll give yourself a chance. And I think Memphis has gone away from playing their style of basketball, which is, you know, it's not flashy. It's it's a dirty, you know, slow, grinded out <laughs> kind of game. And that's that's who they are, and, and they got to stick to that. They can't go away from that. I want to go to the college game before we get out of here. Uh, NCAA, they're, they're talking about possible proposals. One of them is reducing the shot clock to 30 seconds. You're in a college game, obviously. You're okay with that? Uh, you know what? I, I, I'm not. I, I think the college game now is so dictated by the media that it's a little uh, unfair. You know, everybody wants to speed up the game and make it like the NBA. And, and you know, it's called college basketball for a reason. You know, the, these guys aren't NBA-level players yet. So, you know, it, it's like st- starting over, you got to slowly build guys up into learning how to play at a quicker pace, you know, and I, I think, you know, the 35 second clock rule was fine. Um, as a coach, I think uh, shortening the time will, you know, have us work on some things as far as, you know, making sets a little quicker and, and you know, thinking a little quicker on the floor, playing faster. And, you know, all these things go back to how the NBA play. Everybody wants to gain a speed up and score more points and get more fans and, generate more money, uh, you know, when I just think at the college level, some of those guys aren't there yet. You, you know, you, you look at some of the low major teams, you know, they need a 35-second shot clock for what they wow. like to run and things of that <clears throat> nature. So, you know, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to uh, see how, how that goes. And But you know what? It's a, a rule that's in place now, and we just have to adapt to it. It seems like it's speeding up the game and, and, and making the game faster, obviously trying to limit the number of timeouts from five to four. It's it's almost like you're trying to, to, to speed the game up, like you said, and, and not to make the game. I mean, at the end of a college game, it can become a little drawn out with all the timeouts and things of that nature. So you, you see where they're going with it in terms of trying to, to, to make the game better. Does the college game need to get better, in your opinion? Oh, you know what? I I don't think it does. I think now what we've seen in college basketball is is a lot of parity, which is a good thing. You know, know, it's not the 
the one versus 16, you know, that they're the one seed is going to win by 40-plus points. You know, and, and there are guys now that are on 16 seed teams that could be on number one teams. Um, I, I just think that the parity is, is what's very important because it allows you to see who's really working on their game now, what's going to separate, you know, a uh, a Marlon Guild from a Paul Gant down the line. You know, you got to be able to put the work in and, and develop your game over the course of four years or three years or however long you stay in college. So, you know, it, it'll definitely be, be interesting. Marlon, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the no, best of luck. No. We'll, we'll we'll see we'll see if your Grizzlies can get it done. And your <laughs> no, Clippers, no problem. We'll see if your yeah. Grizzlies and Clippers get it done. Well, I, I'll say this: the, the Wizards. I'm not looking too good with the Wizards right now, but no. uh, you know, still eight minutes left, and, and we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, I'll say this: by next year, John Wall will be the best point guard in the NBA. Okay. I'm, I'm putting my stamp on that one right now. I, I'll hold, and I'll hold you to it. Paul, always a pleasure, man. Likewise, take care. All right, bye bye. Marlon Guild, Wright University assistant basketball coach, talking NBA and having fun doing it. Uh, before we get out of here, we 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 uh, you had the situation Chris Webber and and Jalen Rose. They're going back and forth in the media. One calling each other Hollywood, the other one talking about this dude traveled, this dude to this, this dude uh, called a timeout, so on and so forth. You know, the Fab Five, and obviously it was a great time, a great era of basketball. It was great. It was fun. I mean, uh, that was I was in high school at the time. You know, everybody wanted to have the Black Sox. Everybody wanted to be the Fab Five. You know, nobody wanted to be Eric Riley. You know, no one wanted to be Rob Palenka. We all wanted to be Rose, Howard, uh, Jackson, you know, uh, Jack, uh, uh, it was, uh, Jimmy King. We wanted to be one of those boys. You know, Weber. We wanted to be one of them. And, you know, these two beefing and, and going back and forth, hopefully they, they, they can fix it and, and get that right. Because, I mean, that was a great era of basketball. It was a great group of guys all together, and it was fun. And, and one thing you could say about the Fab Five, they were fun. They were exciting. They were entertaining. And they were brash and they were cocky. And, and that brashness, that cockiness, that entertainment, man, you, you could see remnants of the Fab Five today. You know, you see remnants of the Fab Five. You see the black socks. You see the baggy shorts. That was all. Fab Five created, and that was a fun era of basketball. That was a great time of basketball, a great time of college basketball. And I would like to see that era of college basketball come back or, or see something similar. I don't know if we ever will with the one and dones and everything, but we'll see. But that was fun. Fab Five, what a great time that was. And hopefully Weber, Howard, I mean Weber and, and Rose can get it right, stop beefing, and, and talk it out. I want to thank Clinton Porters for stopping by. Also want to thank Marlon Gill for stopping by, Hall of Famer Willie Rowe for stopping by, and also actor Sheldon A. Smith. You can listen to this show and other shows at slash began. Also, you can hit us up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash go for it can. For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great weekend. See you later. Take care. Bye. <laughs>